0: So this is something that I've actually been thinking about for a long time. Uh, about, I guess it's about 15, 17 years ago, or 16 years ago, I was in Israel for the year, and I learned the Gemara, um, which we'll come to later, and I, I said to myself this, that, that there's something like um, jarring about it um, in light of you know the second half of the 19th century and the first part of the 20th century. Um, it, which is, which we'll see in a little bit, like what is the, what is the value of work or labor, right? Um, and especially this notion that we'll see in the Talmud that, um, that sometimes it's best to allow or to hope, pray for our labor to be done by others. You know what I mean? That in an ideal world, we don't ever actually have to work. And it was jarring to me because, you know, the, uh, you know I spent a summer at Day Akiva, but the, 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 the versions of you know, labor Zionism or, or certain types of religious Zionism that I was raised with... Um, we're we're completely in conflict with that, and Clearly. in conflict with that. Um, and as I got older, I um, I saw an interesting comment in the mission bureau, which I will will share with you. And so when, when Rachel suggested that the theme for tonight be be torah, maybe Masa, which means you know Torah is great when it comes to practice or comes to practice in the mitzvot, I wanted to ask about the question of the hierarchy in general, meaning that you know if in, in an ideal world. What actually should we spend our time and our lives doing? Um, and it's interesting because uh, it, it just happened to have been lucky that I was spending a lot of time on this the last couple of weeks, and Aleph gordon who is, we'll get to in a little bit, um, actually makes explicit re- reference to this Gemara as being part of the disease of the diaspora. So as we'll see that, it's a very important point, and one that I think you know um, kind of needs to be fleshed out, and, and I'm, I'm not really sure where to go with it. But we'll start with this, and uh, hopefully in the next 40 minutes or so have a, a little bit of a better understanding. As far as the attitudes towards labor in general, okay, in the traditional classic rabbinic literature, so you know human beings are built as laborers, right? This is the this is the story of the Garden of Eden, right? Um, that that the tilling and working is really an essential part of, um, or the essential part of what it means to be a human being, right? Either creatively or at least as a guardian, um, and on the same time, by the time at least you get to the rabbinic period, you know study of Torah becomes you know the the ideal of what all human endeavor kind of is, coined, is going towards. Um, so if you look here in the first source, the first source is a very, very famous uh, famous piece in the Mechilta of Rav Bar who who says the following. So we know that, of course, that the, um, we're commanded to, to keep the Shabbos, right? And to, to observe the Shabbos. Um, what's interesting is the question of the first part of that pasuk, the first part of that verse, because the first part of the, the verse says, "Sheshet yamim tavod v'asita lahtecha shabbat Right. So the second part, that the seventh day is the Sabbath. Okay, that we we spend an exorbitant amount of time thinking about it and what it means and studying it, and you know, philosophically, legally, whatever. But the question is, what about that first part, that "Sheshet yamim tavod"? Six days you shall work. So there's a, a very, very famous piece in the Mechilta of Rabbi Shma of Rishim Baruchai, that says as follows. Sheishet Yamim Tavod, it's the first source on the page. Rabbi Omer, Harezo Gezeira Acharet, Shekeshem SheNitztavu Yisrael Al Mitzvat Aseh SheLishbot, Kach Al Malacha. So you have this really jarring statement, really interesting statement of Rabbi who says That this is a law that just as the Jewish people are are commanded to cease and desist from their work on Saturdays, so too they are commanded to work the rest of the week. Which now puts in the framework, you know, the human activity, the labor, is now not just, you know, something you do or something you have to do, right? But it's actually, you know, a command, right? That this is not just merely, you know, a way of getting by, but rather it is... um, it is a commandment for what it means to be a human being, and the Mechilta goes on and says, gives all these like interesting things. For example, it says here, Rabbi ben Azariah Omer, Rabbi ben Azariah says, "Kedola melacha shalosh sharat shchinah b'Yisrael ad she'asum melacha shneamar v'asumi mikdash v'shachanti b'tochan." Great is work um, um, because because um, what shall we call it? Because um, it was an, uh, until the Jewish people actually did something, actually made a tabernacle, actually made a mishkan, then God's presence did not um, could not rest with them. So you see here that that it again the the, uh, the model here is is that unless people are actually doing something. Um, God's presence can't be there. It's not, you know. It's, there's no, there's no such sense of really of a cloistered existence of just study, monastic existence, of just study, but rather you actually have to do work as well. You go further, and it tells you, you know, they give a whole couple of other examples uh, later on. Rabbi Kiva says that um, that if you were to take food from the temple or take any anything from the temple, um, you would have to pay not just for the amount that you benefited, but you also have to pay a fine. And it says, but if you work in the temple, you can take as much as you want. Because, again, the question is, is if I were to just steal, or take meaninglessly from the temple, so I have to pay a fine for what I've taken. But if you work, so you're allowed to partake from the temple, no questions asked. And then they give another one, which is ironic that this is it. Um, but if you look in the last one, it's important, actually. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, G'dol la malacha, labor is great. Shafilu Kohen Gadol, that even the high priest, Niknas Biom kipurin.'" that even if the high priest entered into the inner sanctuary of the temple at the wrong time, he's to be put to death. But it says, But when it's time to construct the temple, anyone can come in. right? So it's an interesting little irony. right? When you're building the temple, you it doesn't matter if you're pure, you're impure. So when you're actually in the process of the, the labor of constructing the temple, it doesn't matter. And therefore, to a certain degree, the, the act of producing the temple is in some sense, in a weird way, greater than the actual um, life of the temple once it is produced. And it's interesting, it's ironic, because this source, as we'll see later, is one of the sources that was, were used by religious Zionists as a kind of de facto justification for why they were working with secularists as far as the construction of State of Israel. Because... Um, this is the famous line that Rav Cook. I mean, this is, was very much adopted by Rav Cook When they would say to Rav Cook, how can you work with these people? You know, they're, uh, you know, they don't keep Shabbos, they don't keep kosher, they don't keep anything, right? And he would say to them, well, look, you know, same thing. Just as when they were building the temple, right? It didn't matter if you were pure or impure, right? Because you're in the process of building. So, too, as we're building the state of Israel, it doesn't matter if you're impure or pure. Perhaps it would only matter later on, once the thing is constructed. Now, many secular people in Israel took offense to this. And this notion that you know that they're, you know they they're, they're the construct they're they're constructing something that they're not really conscious of, and really you know eventually they'll abandon whatever values they had. We'll come back to that later on. As a matter of fact, there was a famous um, a famous book uh, uh, in Israel. I forgot who wrote it against religious Zionism, which was called Chamaroshal Mashiach, because they said basically you know that in this world this worldview you know that the secular Zionists are the ass that the Messiah rides in on. And they said, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself an ass, you know what I mean? Um, but be that as it may, you have here um, in the Chilta this, this presentation, at least, of, um, of the value of work being, you know, essential to human productivity. It's, it's commanded, it's necessary, it's part and parcel of, of, of what it is to be a human being. And it is fulfillment, the day-to-day labor that a person does is a fulfillment of a positive mitzvah. Um, and, and again, there are many, many such sources. We don't obviously have time for them tonight. But there are many, many such sources. If anyone's m- more interested in follow up, uh, just as a very brief source, if you look in the um, there's, a, uh, there's a, a, an article I can reference later. But if you want, if you look in the Encyclopedia Judaica under L for labor, which I think is volume ten. Um, actually, I know it's volume ten. So in the that, that 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 you'll get more of the sources about the you know um, the positive attributes of work, um, which is to. In, in contrast to the following um, presentation, in the very, very, very famous presentation in the Gemara Masechet Brachot. So let's learn this Gemara, and then we'll throw it out to you what the consequences of this Gemara should be. This is a very well-known um, Gemara, and it's—I mean, for those of you—if any of you learned Afyomi, you will—it'll will be immediately familiar. It Says as follows: Ruchaninah bar Papa Rami, k'tiv v'la'kachti de'ganibito, uktiv v'asafta de'ganecha. Sir Khanina, the son of Papa, pointed out a contradiction. One pasuk says, I will take my corn in the time. It's God speaking. Your corn, your produce, my corn, my produce. And the other one says, You will gather your produce. So which one is it? Is it your produce, Israel, or is it God's produce? Sakemur says, Kan bizman Israel osin So when will you work for your bread? When will you toil in the fields? When will you have to actually do the type of labor that's necessary in order to produce um, what you need? The only time you'll have to work is if you're not doing God's will. So therefore, if you're doing God's will, things will be taken care of elsewhere. And if you're not doing God's will, then you'll have to work. So it's setting up a hierarchy here where at least you know the ideal state is where, you know, if God is really shining his countenance on you and you're really doing what God wants from you, you will never actually have to do any physical labor, any physical exertion. And then the Gemara quotes this very, very um, famous breiter, which goes as follows. Tanarabbanam. The rabbis taught. de ganecha ma talmud lomar? So Rabbi Shmuel says effectively the following: You have two Psukim. One pasuk says that you will gather your produce, you will work the land and gather the food, and the other one says that you should um, you should uh, never let the words of Torah depart from your mouth. So the question is, which one is it, right? Are you working the land? Are you going out to the field and gathering produce and doing all that? Or are you spending your entire day and night and your entire life in the study of Torah? So according to Rabbi Shemal, he says, no, it's not a contradiction. When you can, you should study as much as you can. But when it's necessary to work, then you should do your work. And Rabbi Shemal is trying to strike a balance between, you know, the necessities of this world again not necessarily seeing labor in a positive out but at least saying at a minimum you know that that's the life you have to live you know you do what you can when you have to and then go back to your study ur shambarya Omer, says no efshar adam khuresh bishat kharisha Vizorea bishat <speaking> z'riah, vekotzer bishat ktsira Vidash bishat isha <in> Vizore bishat ruach <Russian> torah mateila he says, is it possible that a person should plant, should plow the land in the time of plowing and, and plant the seeds in the time of seeding and harvest in the time of harvesting and thresh in the time of threshing and, and winnow in the time of winnowing? Torah, what, what, when will you have time for Torah? Right? A person works all day, all year, the entire year. When are you going to have time to learn? So what does he do with these two sukim He says the following. Ella, rather... When people do, the Jewish people do the will of God. Now, this is very important. What's the ideal? When God does, when you do what God asks of you, and you study Torah properly, and you're living a holy and pious life, there's a very striking line. Other people will do the work for you. Right? It's not even that God will take care of it, but you'll have, you know. Gentiles or whoever who are doing it for you, right? And therefore, and, 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 well, well, get to, we're going to get to all that. So, but what's interesting, right? Right. So, what's interesting here is that is that the ideal here is, and this is just a very, I think, very important point, that the ideal here is not just that you don't have to work, but that the, specifically the work is done from someone by someone else, right? However, uh, right, Shenamar, uh, as the says, There will be strangers, Gentiles, that will come, and they will uh, they will uh, shepherd your flock. But when the Jewish people do not do the will of God, malachta their work will be done by themselves. That's to a certain degree a curse, right? So here, the idea of having to do the work and do the labor for yourself, right? Working for your own food, your own produce, your own land is actually seen as a curse. Shinamar, um, as the Pasuk says, Vasatadigrecha. The low ode, and not only that, Elashimelechera Kherim Nasid al Yadan. Shanaimar, Vavarataroy Vecha. says, not only that, but even bigger curse. What's the bigger curse? You have to work for other people. Right? So it's not just enough, it's not just bad enough right, that you actually have to work for yourselves, but the biggest curse here for a b'shem is that you're going to actually have to work for other people. And here, labor is seen as not only not ennobling, not only not important, but it's actually seen as a real Desperation and curse, and a terrible thing that a person will have to go through. It sounds like something that was said to the Nakhash at some point. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's, and, 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 and by the way, so, 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 so that's, that's this, 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 this distinction between Rabbi Shemal and Roshim Himbar mm-hmm. Now, this is very important because I, I just want to pay attention to the next line. Because the next line in the Gemara is going to be subject to a very interesting little twist um, in the 20th century. Amarabai Bai said, Harbei Asu Rabbi Shemal, the Alta B'yadon. Karebi Shembar the Lo Alta So a lot of people tried like Rabbi Shem Yishmao. He would work in the time of work and he would learn in the time of study. And and they were successful. And a lot of people did like Roshim Bar Yochai and they were not successful. Now, before we go any further, what would you think then the consequence of that statement in the Gemara should be then? If we're trying to set out, you know, an ideal life in light of the sages... What would you say then the goal of the balance between study and, and labor should be? That it should not be a goal exclusively of Torah. Right. You would think that the, you would follow some sort of Rabbi Shemal model, right? That Rabbi Shemal says, you know, like, okay, work when it's time to work and then and study when it's time to study, right? That, that, that seems to be the natural consequence of this Gemara. Now, I just want you to hold, right? I mean, is anybody else. I, just, I didn't see that, uh, the second statement, as being like something that you actively do. I saw it as like, an explanation of, well, how is that going to work out? And it was like, well, this is what happens to you. If you are doing God's will, then you'll still be trying to work, but you'll be so successful that other people will start working for you, and you will actually end up having time to study Torah. Meaning it's not something you can like go out and try to do. If you haven't tried it the regular way first, also taken on God's whatever God wants from you, that that's how you get there. It's not something you can try, like lechatchilah to do. Okay, so so it. hold that thought for a minute. That's what I'm saying. So, so I want you to hold that thought because because I, I the first, when I first learned this and, and I, I this I was I mean I was 18 at the time and whatever, um, so I thought basically you know that what this gemara is setting out is like some sort of normative behavior. Like okay, like live a rabbi Shema life, right? We've tried both ways, right? They've both been tested, and it turns out that the Bar yechai is not the, is not the ideal. So it's not going to work. Okay, just bear in mind. Well, look, look, we'll skip ahead to it. So if you skip ahead, this is a fascinating piece. you learn from the next page. So um, if you look in, in just the, the second to last, sorry, the second to last page, source on the page, so we're a little... Uh, is the Shulchan Aruch in, in Archaim? So the Shulchan Aruch in Archaim here, and this is Simon Kufnun Vav, not a, uh, a very uh, often studied Simon. This is basically... Uh, the end of shacharis in the morning, the end of the first prayer in the morning, and basically telling you now that you've finished praying, what do you do the rest of the day? So the Shulchan Aruch writes, after you finish praying, la askav, you should go work. That's a quotation from Pirkei Avot. Any per- person who works, um, who learns and doesn't do work along with it, uh, it will be useless and they will come to sin because when poverty will cause you to kind of turn yourself away from the service of your um, of your creator and nevertheless he says when we call and you shouldn't make your work the main part of your life LRI should be temporary the Torah tokeva and the Torah should be the main part the and both of these will be successful I, I should mention just as a bit of a personal biographical note um, my great 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 grandfather was a very well-known Lithuanian rabbinic personality named Rav Yosef Zundel of Salant. He was the Rebbe of Rusral Salanter So there's a lot of stories about him. He was like one of these famous Lithuanian holy men, whatever. But one of the stories that they always tell about him was that in following this dictator what he would do is he would like whatever town Lithuania and then Jerusalem he was in not town, but whatever town Lithuania was in and then whatever neighboring Jerusalem he was in, he would open up a store and keep it open for a few weeks or months until he had enough money and then close it, finish learning and then only reopen the store afterwards. Now, despite the fact that that is some sort of um, strange ancestral inheritance that I have, I've never actually tried it. Um, But that is like... so. But the the reason why I tell you that is that there were people who actually attempted that type of lifestyle. Now, again, obviously, they're few and far between. Um, What's interesting is the following. If you were to read the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch seems to just be, in a sense, just a a restatement of Rabbi Shemal's principle, right? Work a little, learn Mm -hmm. more, but at least work a little every day, right? Um, and that's the, the model. If you look in the Biro the is also written by the Chavetz Chaim. So this is right. The, the Chavetz Chaim dies in 1933. So this is really the turn of the 20th century, and this is really you know the, the tail end of the high rabbinic culture in Lithuania. So look what he says here. He says Katfu Hasfarim, the books. He doesn't say which the books are. Right. Shizehu Namar lekalal Olam. <laughs> so the, he writes in the Bir Halech as follows. This ideal that you should work a little and learn a little, learn more, is for the average, normal person. Who, even if they learn all day, they're not going to elevate to this esteem level. However, unique people there are people that can and should learn all day that's what he says it should be Hey it's a mistake what's he saying? he says the following let's read the Gemara I mean this is a strange read of the Gemara but this is his read of the Gemara what did the Gemara say? he said a lot of people try to live the life of a Bar Yochai, where you learned all day right? And the reason why they weren't successful was because it was a lot of people. And it's not necessarily an ideal for the masses, right? So he says the problem wasn't that Rosh Haik was per se wrong. The problem was that Roshim was too too expansively applied. But the theory of having a, a small group of elite scholars that only spend their day in Torah and never actually work, he says that actually is an ideal. Actually, now, again, it's an interesting question, meaning, like, you know, what would you do, I mean, again, I don't want to politicize, but what would you do today where, you know, it's just the, the amount of people studying full-time and not working has just totally exploded, right? So I don't know if this is, even the Chavetz Chaim would recognize that as an ideal, because his point is, is that it's a small elite group of people, but he, what he does say is, again, counterintuitive to what, how we read the Gemara two minutes ago, right, the Gemara seems to say, like, look, this was tried and, tra- and tested and it didn't work. He says, no. It was tried and tra- tried and tested by the Masses and the masses should never attempt this, but the small cadre of elite intellectuals—no, they can. And he has his quotation is from. And again, I just want to okay—the quotation that he quotes is actually a really interesting and fairly controversial point um, in the Rambam. The Rambam, and this is one of those. I mean, this is there's lots to say about this. Not not tonight, but there's lots to say about this. So the Rambam basically. Seems to have two completely contradictory statements as far as the question of should the ideal be full time study or should it be in addition um, to regular life of work and so if you look in the source where it says Rambam Hilchot Torah he says like this Kol Alibah anyone who decides that he will learn Torah V'Lo and he will not work Parnes Min and he will rely on the, the largesse of charity. Harei et This is a desecration of God's name. Ubazad ha-Torah. And he disgraced the Torah. or hadat, And he extinguishes the light of, the, of, of faith. V'garam And he causes bad to himself. And he, takes, and he loses his place in the world to come. Right? So it seems here from this statement in the Rambam, where he says, L'fisha asur le'in divrei Torah A person's not allowed to benefit from words of Torah in this world. So, it would seem here, from that, is that, and in the end he says you're going to wind up stealing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but the point is is that it seems from the Rambam here that the Rambam is saying, look, the ideal of a person studying full-time and never working right, is actually not an ideal at all. As a matter of fact, it's a desecration of God's name. Uh, the problem, of course, is that if you look in, um, in the another section of the Rambam, the one previously before it, he says the following. This is the Rambam in Hilchot Shemitah Uyovel, right? And so this is the laws of the Jubilee year and of the sabbatical year, and he says like this. It says, why is it that the tribe of Levi, when they divided up the land of Israel, the tribe of Levi did not get a portion? Because the tribe of Levi was set aside to study, meditate, and teach the entire Jewish people. So the Rambam is making a very bold claim here that... um, that there, from the outset, from the formation of the nation of Israel, right, there was always going to be, or meant to be, a small elite group of people whose job was, or whose portion in life was, to instruct the people to study. That was what their their place was. And the crazy part is the next one, Halacha Yudgim. And I just wanted to pay attention because it's like a really interesting nuance in language in the Rambam. He says, Velo Shevet Levi Bilvad, not only the tribe of Levi, Elachol Ishviish, any person, Mikol Baeolam, from the entire world, Asher Nidvarucho Oto, Vinum Amado, Lav Livadeel, Lamod Lifne Ashem Lachar, Tolavdo, at Hashem, Valach Yashar, Moshas Sauhim, Uparak Melzavaro, Olach Bonot, Haravim, Asher Bixubene Adam, Hare Zenit Kadesh Kodesh Kadashim, Via Hashem Chelco. So he says, not only. The tribe of Levi, right? But any person in this world who decides to set aside themselves and to remove themselves from all the the, the, the problems and the the, the, the the difficulties of this world, so this person is Nikadesh Kodesh they there, the Holy of Holies, and God is their portion for in this world and the next. Now it's interesting because here the Rambam is setting out not just the you know in the ancient world the ideal of the division of the land of Israel. But he's saying that this is an ongoing ideal, that there should always be some sort of group or some sort of you know elite whose sole purpose is to study and to instruct, to meditate, to ponder, and that should be, and therefore this is an eternal thing. And that's, by the way, what he quoted in the Bir HaLach. Now, just an interesting point. You'll notice that the Rambam is not talking about Jews here, right? You will notice that, right? Like. He says, call ish, ish anyone, be called a Olam, of anyone of planet Earth, right? Which would lead to some sort of strange conclusion, one would assume, that, you know, you can use your tztaqa money to pay for, you know, the philosophy departments at great universities or maybe a Buddhist monastery in upstate New York, right? Because, you know, they're pondering wisdom and instructing, you know, instructing the people, right? I mean, there's a huge, huge, huge literature, up to this day, people are still arguing about whether the Rambam actually is, in fact, not only advocating um, a particular ideal of this elite who are there to, you know, to, 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 to study and to remove themselves from the world, but it may, in fact, be not just a Jewish elite, but actually just a general elite. Remember, that for the Rambam, you know, wisdom is not only Jewish. Wisdom is quite universal, and therefore as a result, it could very well be that, you know, theoretically, if you were to ask the Rambam, hey, look, you know, uh, I have this, uh, this, this philosophy professor at uh, you know, uh, Stanford, who's uh, it's really cavalling in metaphysics, so it could be that you'd say, you know, good. So maybe you should, uh, you know, have a fundraiser in shul for him. You know, you know, you know like you know, put put an ad in the Five times Jewish Times. You know, they we're collecting money for the big tzaddik. And and and, but be that as it may, what you have here is 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 it seems very strange and very a, a, a very striking contradiction in the Rambam. Where on the one hand, you know, the idea of someone studying and and um, relying on charity is considered to be this Kul Hashem, right? The desecration of God's name, yet at the same time, you know, setting out as, as an ideal for all times, the idea that there will always be some people um, whose sole profession it should be to ponder and the ways of God and the ways of wisdom, and that should be all that they do. Um, there's, no, there's no difference between Laban and uh, and I, I don't think there's a major. I don't, yeah, I don't know if, if we would make such a. He would make such a distinction. No, no, it's interesting, by the way, if you were to read the polemics of the 20th century either pro-Kolel or anti-Kolel, you know, pro-yeshiva study or anti-yeshiva study. So it breaks down very easily into which of these Rambams you prefer. You know what I mean? So for the people that will tell you you should really be studying Torah all day and not working, they'll tell you that the main Rambam is in Shemitah and Yovel, and the one in Talmud Torah you kind of ignore. And for the people that want to say the opposite, they'll say the opposite. It's an interesting little distinction, but if you note in the... um, in the Bir HaLacha, he does actually quote, look, he says on the last page, he says, So he says, and this is what the Rambam wrote um, when he mentioned uh, at the end of Shemitah Yoblag. So from this perspective, and I would call a traditional, just in major quotation marks, right? Huge quotation marks, because, you know, in the modern world, Either nothing is traditional or everything is traditional, so I don't want to call it traditional. But for anyway, from that perspective, you know, the balance of work and learning is a little difficult, but you do see here, you know, this, even, even within a Gemara, that seems to be pretty clear, right, that maybe the ideal of full-time study to the exclusion of law seems to be something that at least was tried and shouldn't, should be avoided, right? You have the resurrection of it and saying, yeah, well, at least as long as it's for some people, and not for everyone, this is something that we should still look to as an ideal. Now, this becomes very problematic um, in light of Zionism right because in light of zionism you have the, the the problem that you know that a lot of these values are ones that um, that zionism is in direct rebellion against um and and again if, if you if you want to just if you read through our Her- Arthur Hertzberg's Zionist idea reader you'll see you know this comes up time and time again and then the idea that you know that that labor should be something to be avoided, or at least, you know, something to be outsourced, right? You know, there was a, a great line um, by Rav Shlomo Goeren, who was the former chief rabbi of Israel, um, which kind of rejected this old model. There's a, a whole question in halakha about um, having a non-Jew do work for you, say on Shabbat, right? Famous Shabbos guy, right? And, and Rav Gorin said that having a Shabbos guy was never looked at as an ideal, Right. It was looked at, so, and he said, like, and, and so one of his major, and one of his controversial positions was that, that a modern state of Israel has to figure out ways that Jews can do everything that a Jew would need to do. Meaning, if you're going to use electricity, so then you have to figure a way that Jews can be the ones running electric generators. If you can have a, an army, the Jews have to be working on jobs. If you have a, a police force, the Jews have to work on jobs. He said his, his point was, from a different perspective, that the idea of outsourcing all of your problems to someone else was seen very negatively by the rabbis. Right, having saying that, you know, don't worry, I'll have a non-Jew do it for me. Right, was never really something that people looked at as an ideal, um, but the, it, it, it was taken even a step further by some of the really great thinkers of the Zionist, especially those who were the real great thinkers of the labor Zionist movement. So, if you were to look, for example, now, now the, the, I quoted from Tolstoy here. Uh, this is a phenomenal essay of Tolstoy's, and the reason why I, I put Tolstoy here is because for a lot of um, of of a lot of the more ascetic uh, labor Zionists, really, you know, whose whose lives were in working the land and that, that type of ethos, um, Tolstoy is a major influence for them, um, especially late period Tolstoy, the Tolstoy that is not you know sitting and writing, but is you know walking the Russian countryside, you know what I mean, and conversing with peasants, you know that that kind of stuff. Um, for example, um, at the same the same time as the, and the same is the case with physical labor. The dignity of man, his sacred duty and obligation, consist in him using his hands and feet which have been given to him, for, for that, for, for, that for, for which they were given to him. Sorry about that. And, well, th- apologize to the internet. And that which consumes food on the labor which produces that food. And they should be used, not on, not on that which caused them to pine away, not as objects to wash and clean, and merely for the purpose of stuffing into one's f- food mouth, drinking cigarettes. This is the significance that physical labor possesses for man in every community. But in our community, where the avoidance of the law, this law of labor has occasioned the unhappiness of a whole class of people, employment and physical labor requires another significance, the significance of a sermon, and of an occupation which removes a terrible misfortune that is threatening mankind. And he goes on and on, if you look in the last paragraph, um, what will the result, the result if I or some other man or handful of men does not despise physical labor, but it, regard it as an indispensable to our happiness and to the appeasement of our conscience? This will be a result that there will be one man, two men, or a handful of men who, coming into conflict with no one, without governmental or revolutionary violence, will decide for ourselves the terrible question which stands before all the world, and which sets people at variance, and that we shall settle it in such wise that life will be better to them, that their conscience will be more at peace, and they will have nothing to fear. And this is kind of this elevation of labor as an ideal. You see uh, there's a certain anarchism there, you know, that if you really were in touch with the land, in touch with labor, in touch with the rhythms of your life, you wouldn't need governments, you wouldn't need war, you wouldn't need anything. Um, obviously, Marx's influence in a different way for the, mm-hmm. these labor Zionists, but what you get here is this, um, this elevation of labor is not just something you know, to look forward to, but really the elevation of work, especially physical work in the land, as the, 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 the distinct and specific purpose that human beings are created and put on the earth. Which doesn't occur now at all. Well, that's a separate question. Yeah. So the, the best example of this is a great one of the... Labor's Alliance leaders' named uh, Aleph Dalla Gordon, who was like... For um, those of you who read Ruff Cook, so if you wanted like, a more focused, secular version of Ruff Cook with a lot of the mystical overtones, Gordon is that. Religious, in the beginning of his life, I know five minutes. Uh, sorry, seven minutes? Ten. ten minutes. Okay, ten minutes. Um, but also probably towards the end, not. And, and he puts it in the most extreme way, and what's important about Gordon is here... Actually, he references the Gemara we said before. So if you look here, he says as follows... Now, it is true that every people has many individuals who shun physical labor and try to live off the work of others. But a normal people is like a living organism, which performs its various functions naturally. And labor is one of its basic and organic functions. A normal people invariably contains a large majority of individuals for whom labor is second nature. We Jews are different. We have developed an attitude of looking down on manual labor. So, that even those who are engaged in it work out of mere compulsion and always with the hope of escaping to a quote unquote better life. We must not deceive ourselves in this regard, nor shut our eyes to our grave deficiencies, not merely as individuals but as a people. The well known Talmudic saying that when Jews do God's will, their labor is done for them by others, is characteristic of our attitude. This saying is significant. It demonstrates how far this attitude has become an instinctive feeling within us, a second nature. So, in direct reference, and it's an interesting point, I mean, Gordon is going to reference a lot of mystical concepts, and a lot of the, the people who are in this circle are, are, will reference, you know, the sections of the Talmud, the sections of the Bible, will see labor as a positive, but they will see the, any of these attitudes, especially like the Gemara that we learned earlier, as kind of being like a disease or a problem of people who are estranged. And the fact that we inculcate that as a value is as a result of the fact that we have in fact become estranged from the land and the natural rhythms of a normal, healthy people. Not to oversimplify, but sometimes you feel like this might be why a lot of the city people in Israel, well, are contemptful of these other people who are now the new pioneers, who, you know, they want to give back land. I'm not doing politics either. I'm just well, a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> bit. Drop, bit drop, bit drop, bit drop. Bit I'm bit saying bit drop. that they're very pioneering. Right. I well, it's a good you note. Know, so, so it's an interesting. Their, well, here's yeah. the problem: is, is is what would it mean? are building physically. Right. What do we? Right. What does it mean to be pioneering today? That's a, a separate question. You know, now that we all have like you know our Bluff, internet connection. Yeah. Bluffs. Now we have internet connection on our phone. Like, how pioneer can you really be? You know. But I mean, that's <laughs> a separate point. Which well, let me just finish this. So he says, let me put it more bluntly: in Palestine, we must do with our own hands all the things that make up the sum total of life. We must ourselves do all the work. From the least strenuous, cleanest and most sophisticated, sorry, to the dirtiest and most difficult. In our own way, we must feel what a worker feels and think what a worker thinks. Then and only then shall we have a culture of our own, for then we will have a life of our own. It all seems very clear. From now on, our principal ideal must be labor. Through no fault of our own, we have been deprived of this element and we must seek a remedy. Labor is our cure. The ideal of labor must be the pivot of all our aspirations. It is the foundation upon which our national structure is to be erected. Only by making labor, sorry, for its own sake, our national ideal shall be shall we be able to cure ourselves of the plague that has affected us for many generations and mend the rent between ourselves and nature? Labor is a great human ideal. It is the ideal of the future and a great ideal can be a healing son. And if you look, here's another quote from Gordon. And then this, by the way, if anyone, this is an awesome volume, which is like totally underappreciated, but there's this book called 20th Century Religious Thought. It's like a thousand, 1, eleven hundred pages. I haven't seen it? So it's like so I never saw it awesome, but they have two copies in the North Shore Library, which is strange, but it's the only book they have two copies of but um, <coughs> North Shore in our high school library like, we have no books in the library but t- two copies of that but um, it's, it's an amazing book that was put together in 1986 of like topics in Jewish life and they have like unbelievable, Eugene Barowitz and Revan Lichtenstein and David Hartman and Shia Leibowitz like everyone who's whatever, writing about you know God covenant, Israel, nature, Torah it's awesome, it's really amazing um, so this guy, Avram Shapiro, who wrote, who is, you know, wrote about Gordon and whatever, he has the chapter on work, which is phenomenal. It's only like six pages long also. So he says, the principal distinguishing feature, here's quoting Gordon again, of what we are creating lies in the fact that each of us must begin by recreating himself. He is bound to recognize that it is our own torn souls that the national rupture took place. And so let each one come and make himself whole, bringing peace to his own spirit. Thus, each in his own way, shall we arrive at a pure national self. So the goal here of returning to labor, returning to the land, returning to the natural rhythms of life, returning to all those things, was not about just, you know, the ability to have all. I remember remember one of the major, and it's it's really unfortunately lost today, is that, you know, that, that Zionism itself, you know, was a major argument about what it meant to be a Jew. And therefore, you had a million different positions as far as what that actually meant. Now, this specific position didn't just see it as like a a haven or a respite from anti-Semitism, right? But it was actually through the physical labor, you would actually return not just to the land of Israel, but the actual rhythms of what it meant to be not just a Jew, but a human being as well, right? And then it was kind of we are repairing the disease of the soul that has now enveloped us in all these years in the diaspora. Again, in Israel today, this is an ideal that is pretty much dead as well. Um, so there are pe- I mean, again, I guess, you know, there's, a, there's certain chevres of, right? yeah. of people, um, you know, not necessarily in Israel, but, you know, I mean, people who are doing, people doing, you know, all the type of farming, whatever it is, that, um, that are trying to kind of recapture this idea. I mean, Gordon himself is an amazing case. He doesn't move to Israel until he's like in his late 40s and, you know, like, you know, like prides himself in the calluses of his hands. Like to him, that is like a, 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 you know, the definitive sign that he's actually accomplished something in life. And he dies, you know, uh, whatever on whatever it's whatever. Actually, you know, he died. In, he was in getting cancer treatments, I think, in, in Germany. But, but, but the point is, is um, the point is, is that you know that that was that was the ideal. Now, what is interesting for me is like again, I'm not really sure. I I, I, I see the romance of this, although I don't necessarily think that. And by the way, and I, I shouldn't say it isn't practical because what the people who actually adopted this created is, you know. Is nothing short of, of 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 amazing in a certain sense. You know what they actually created tangibly in this world is really something to be admired. Um, what is interesting is is that like what this kind of forced me to do is to realize like how problematic some of the classical texts are in light of you know our recent history. Because if you think about it, you know were we to have really even lived up to Rebbe Schmal's ideal, um, there would be no possibility of a modern state of Israel, because it's really hard to found a state when you're learning two hours, you're working two hours a day, and then, you know, learning brachos the rest of the day, or even bavmetia, right? You know, right? so and 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 not to say that Zionism is a total revolution against the past. That's it's, it's too simplistic, um, but it is a real interesting question. You know, now that we're in this, you know. State of Israel has been established, we are Americans, and we're probably staying here in America. But, but how do we deal with these competing values, and especially in light of the fact that you know I mean look you know, in some sense the system is very successful, right and I'm sure most of us in this room you know have friends, relatives, or loved ones who uh, are learning full-time calls. so that world clearly you know has its appeal and to a certain degree is won, and the world of Zionism um, seems to have won also because you do have you know a vibrant state of Israel. Um, but it's an interesting question, you know, for people who want to strike a balance, right, don't want to live in either world, you know, what, what kind of life would that take on? There's a, a great line that David Hartman has where he says, you know, that he, in the beginning of Living Covenant, he writes about how he's going to, you know, talk about the importance of, of Talmud study, and the traditional Jewish learning, etc. And he says, you know, bear in mind, he says, you know, that even though I think that the world of, of study and the world of the yeshiva is a very dynamic and vibrant one, it so says it was people who didn't care about these values who created the State of Israel who thought that there were more important things in life than clever resolutions to to questions. Um, and for those of us who actually do like clever resolutions to tell to questions, right? Obviously, we're here for a reason, right? Um, how do we balance these things, you know, in light of the tradition and then in light of very recent history is, uh, uh, you know, an ongoing question. I hope that this at least kind of, if not gives answers, provides uh, at least the beginnings of a framework to kind of think about some of these things. Thank you.